Good morning. My name is Nick. I serve as one of the pastors here at Salt Rock, and it's just good to be with y'all. Uh, we're wrapping up our worship uh, series today and getting ready for Advent next Sunday, so we're really excited about that. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to sit today. Um, I've hit a stage in life where my back has things to say back to me. Uh, like, I don't want to be in the car for five hours, or I don't want to sleep on a mattress at somebody's house for the holidays. And so I'm having to listen to my, what my back is telling me. So if y'all don't mind me sitting, um, I do want to point out that you sit most of the time already. So I feel like it's fair. So we're just going to go with that. Sound good? Um, yeah, so I'm glad to be here with you uh, in that we get to talk about fasting. Um, there's a lot of graciousness in putting fasting at the very end after Thanksgiving. So hopefully you got to do all of your eating and get it out of your system. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about what fasting looks like in the heart of worship. Um, and one of the things that you think about is that fasting is not just something we find in the biblical context of Scripture. Like We actually see fasting in other cultures, other religions, and different things like that medically. Um, we know that fasting provides a lot of medical benefits for our bodies, that as we fast, our body begins to recover and restore things that have kind of broken down. Um, do I have any intermittent fasters with me today? Awesome. Yeah, so like that's one of the hearts behind intermittent fasting. It's not just about losing weight. It's just, it's about being overall, allowing your body time to heal. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. If you want my medical opinion, I'll give it to you later. It'll be me and uh, WebMD. But um, yeah, we know that it, it provides some benefits. Um, if you slept last night, we went into a fast. And you, like I said, it's, sleep is good for us. It's a restorative process. Um, and so there's a lot of cultures, a lot of different religions that have understood the, the benefits of fasting. Um, but when we're talking about fasting today, we're specifically talking about the way we relate and connect to God um, that is restorative to our soul and places God in his right place um, in our life. And what I mean by that is like understanding who God is is so important and critical into being able to walk with him, have relationship with him, connect with him, and to receive um, the gospel and all that God is doing in our life. And so when we think about God, it is the God of the universe, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, everlasting before time, before creation. Within himself, he had perfect community and relationship, love, um, and all of these characteristics of who God is have always existed and always will. And so when we think about Scripture and we think about fasting and worshiping the one true God, it is important for us to make sure that we see and understand God for who he truly is. And so I'm hoping what has happened over this series and hopefully over the time that you've been a believer in Christ is that you have known and experienced and tasted who God really is and that in that process, your life is changing. Not just the moment of salvation, but through redemption and through sanctification, that every time we experience who God is and we hear his words spoken and his spirit moves within us and convicts what's broken inside of us, that we become more and more like him. 
And as we do that, we become more and more of the worshipers he created us to be. Now, one of the things about fasting is you have to slow down and be intentional. It's true of worship as well. So it makes sense that a part of fasting is the, the, uh, the, the paramount need to just slow down to be with, who, be with God and allow him to be with who you are. Our pace of life right now is so fast. You know, a few years ago, we all had to slow down, right? Like we had the, the pandemic was going on and there was this disorientation of like what's happening and like what needs to happen. And we all had to slow down. And there were a lot of us who loved it and were like, this is great. This is now my utopia. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. I can just sit and be. There are some of us that are like, man, this is crazy. We got to get things back up and running, right? But whether you're on one side of the camp or the other or somewhere in between, all of us experience God revealing something inside of us when we slowed down. There were things inside of us that we hadn't slowed down to pay attention to. There were things that God wanted to say to us. There were just joys and blessings that we were driving right by and over on because we were trying to live life to its fullest or fix things that weren't working quite right and we were just missing them but there was also with our busyness the temptation to miss the things that were broken and disjointed and because of that we end up feeling often lonely and apart from who God is in our relationship with him and then let's be honest we can feel that way with each other as well and so this pace of life is fragmented, and, it, and it's just so fast, and it makes us lean into idols in ways that um, are unhealthy. Um, any way we lean into an idol is going to be healthy and shaming, and it steals and it robs from us. And so with fasting, it allows us to slow down, to be able to put God where he belongs, to experience him in the way that he actually is, and for us to know where we are as well in this redemptive uh, process that we are in right now. In Scripture alone, in the Old Testament and New Testament, there are 70 references uh, to fasting in various ways. There's no way for us to hit all of those today, um, but just to kind of give you um, a little overview, um, most of us have forgotten that Moses actually fasted for 40 days before receiving the Ten Commandments. Now, it's very important right now that you understand that when I talk about fasting in this way and I give examples, I'm not saying like, yeah, if you do this, then God's going to do this, okay? It's not a spiritual or religious mathematical formula that if you do this, then this will happen. Um, what we're going to really end up understanding is that when we seek and we are intentional with seeking God, we get God. We get Jesus. We don't get some trophy or reward or Ten Commandments. We get him. And so when I talk about these, these areas of fasting, like we need to understand that really the goal in fasting is Christ. It's to receive him, to get more of him, and for us to be more like him as worshipers. So Moses fasted for 40 days and received the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament, primarily fasting was associated with repentance or grieving of sin personally and as a nation. And so most of the time fasting was um, practiced or prepared for was leading up to significant events like the Day of Atonement, where all of the people would come together and they would sacrifice for their sins for the year. And so there was a very big significance, like you wanted to make sure like your sacrifice and everything was prepared and ready because this is the way sins were atoned for. 
They didn't have what you and I have, and so that was a significant event in their life. We see in Daniel, he actually fasted based off a vision that he had received to abstain from certain foods and drinks when he was with the king. And so he, uh, you'll hear the Daniel fast and different things, and there's all these spiritual and physical benefits to it. But the main purpose of what Daniel was saying is, is like, I'm seeking after God and I'm seeking to understand what God is doing in my life. And he's like, so I'm going to abstain from these things. And let's be honest, most of us just picked out on most of the things Daniel abstained from, right? It was good. Just because it's in a pie doesn't mean it's a fruit, all right? But Daniel fasted not from everything, but from specific things. Second Samuel, we see David fast because of the loss of his son. He had the loss of his friend. So Daniel's dealing with sadness and he's grieving. And in his desire to be comforted and seen by God, he fasts before the Lord. There's something sweet and precious about that. We even see it for a nation when Ezra called uh, the, God's people to fast and to pray before being brought back into the promised land. And so there was this call to fast and prepare themselves so that they were able to receive what God had for them, which was the promised land. Even in the early church in Acts 13, the elders and the leaders prayed and fasted before appointing others like Paul or Saul and Barnabas and sending them out. And so in this common theme of fasting is that it's not just this religious act that we're required to do, but it is a spiritual pathway or um, a discipline that allows us to see God for who he actually is, to experience him for actually who he is, and for us to be made more like him as he speaks and works in our life. Today we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6. We read primarily uh, from Ken in Matthew 9. We're going to get there, but I want to back up just a little bit to Matthew chapter 6. When we see Christ's ministry on earth, we see him disrupting the status quo of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they don't like it, right? Like, this is something they've given their life to. It's what they've known. It's what they've practiced and experienced. And there's actually three pillars that kind of go to the Jewish religious hierarchy. And giving to the needy was one. Prayer was another one. And the third pillar is fasting. And so in Matthew chapter 6, God is, Jesus is actually touching on all three of those. And we're picking up in verse 16 when he talks about fasting. So uh, verse six, chapter 6, verse 16 says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that uh, they have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what Christ is saying is that when you fast, so what we need to understand, there's 70 references to fasting throughout scripture, right? Fasting is not just a, a biblical thing, like it's in other cultures as well. And so when he says when you fast, he knows there's an understanding that the people he's talking to know what fasting is. They've practiced it. They know the pillars of the Jewish religious tradition. And so when he's talking to them, he knows there's a, already a historical and, and a, probably a very real practical presence of fasting in their life. And so he's instructing them, when you fast, do not do it with this certain face. 
And so I'm going to coin this as the RFF. That's the resting fasting phase. It's a sad face. It's an attention-seeking face. It's a look-what-I've-done face. Okay? It's notice me. And he's saying, don't look gloomy. That's the RFF. Like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. See, what he's, he's reminding them of is not that fasting was this, this religious act of righteousness that you get to do so that you get to be a certain standard or a certain rightness about you or that you get to be a club premier level giver of whatever religious order you could think of. Like the fasting that Christ is speaking about when you fast, he's like, do it for you. Do it for the secret that, or the, the insideness that only the Father can see. This isn't for everybody else. This isn't for others to see and take part in and to just be an audience member to what you're doing and experiencing. If you guys think like narcissism just now was invented, it's not, right? This look at me thing has always existed. And it comes from a very deep and broken place that if I do it right or if I do it in this way, I'll be noticed and I'll be seen and I'll be taken care of and I'll be loved and I will have the assurance of righteousness in my life but what Christ is really saying is like do this but do it in secret between me and you it's me and you doing relationship together this is not for everybody this is for me and for you and thank goodness that means God is not just this cosmic force out there shotgunning truth in relationship to everybody like a pre-made card that he just signed his name on and gave it to you what he's saying is like I want to be with you you he's not throwing it out there just for everybody he's wanting a very intimate uh, relationship with you as the faster seeking him so fasting can be this very private thing it's between you and the father and it's not for your face or your actions or covering yourself in ash and being just not put together in a way so that people know that you're really hungry or that you're trying to do some religious pillar within the tradition it's for you to be able to seek the Lord. And so throughout Scripture, we can see a lot of different ways fasting happens. There's the normal fast of like um, removing food and, and drinking only water and different things like that. That's what we're talking about in Matthew uh, and Luke when Jesus goes out. Um, and Mark, when Jesus goes out, he fasts from food other than water. We see partial fasts like Daniel where he abstains from certain things, but he not from everything. Well, there's also these absolute fasts that we see throughout Scripture when there's an emergency or there's just something big is happening. And so the people, for a short period or a very short season, give everything that they have to seeking after God. And it's this beautiful thing. And there's private, there's corporate fast. But all of that being said, it's seeking God. The reward is God. That is the reward that we are after, is to be able to see him and know him in a way that we may not have been able to experience or trust. And I hope in this series that's what you've experienced, is that your understanding of who God is has grown, and you've been able to experience him in a way that is real and tangible in your life. Because at the end of the day, no matter who you are, you are created for a union and a relationship with the Heavenly Father. You are created and you are purposed to be an image bearer and be a worshiper of the Heavenly Father. And the beauty is, is he's not, again, shotgunning these standard stamped cards and just 
we're just numbers in a system. He seeks after us. So in this shaking things up, we'll go into Matthew chapter 9. And again, Jesus is shaking things up in a way that the religious leaders are not actually excited about. We're going to start in verse 14 of Matthew 9. And it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and is a worse tear, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, then the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskin, so that both are preserved." For you and I, that's, that's not everyday common language. Um, but again, this is Jesus meeting them where they're at. If you look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9, we see the experience of the, the men bringing their friend who was a paralytic to Jesus to be healed. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't heal him and will give him the ability to walk first. Jesus goes to what his actual need is and he says, hey, your son, son your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are freaking out going, only, if the, only God can do that. And Jesus is like, I know. I know. And so he's again upsetting the status quo. He calls Matthew the tax collector, who tax collectors nobody wants to deal with. And not only does he call Matthew the tax collector, he then has a banquet with him and all of his other sinner buddies. And he again upsets the religious leaders. And he's like, why? This is not how we're supposed to live. They had in their mind these acts of righteousness and that this was the mark, these acts of righteousness of what it means to truly follow after God. And what Christ is doing is he's saying, no, listen, just think about the bridegroom that he's talking about. It says, and Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The goal is not acts of righteousness. The goal is to get Jesus. And Jesus is blatantly saying it to their face. He's like, you're missing it. I'm, I'm what you're seeking after. These acts of righteousness mean nothing apart from me. If you actually want whatever you're doing, your fast, your prayer, your seeking of me to mean anything is as if you get me. If you want your worship to mean anything, it means everything if you get me and if you're reflecting me. And so Jesus, again, is helping them understand, and he uses these other illustrations that have become proverbial to us. And he talks about the shrunken piece of cloth, that if you have a new garment, what happens when you wash it? Oh, I guess you guys all do dry cleaning. So if, just so you know, if you wash something new, often it will shrink. Because the, the fabrics and everything, the fibers, I actually don't know why it does it. It just does it, okay? But here's the thing, and Jesus knew that too, so we're on the same page. What happens is, is like if you have an old garment, you put a new piece of fabric that hasn't been washed and shrunk and like set, what will end up happening is that little piece will then pull on the rest of them. And not only will it make the original tear, it'll actually make it worse. And I don't know anything about wine, but a part of the, the, the fermentation process is when you put wine in these uh, animal-skinned uh, bags from the ferment, there's a formation that causes pressure to expand, and so the bags have to be able to expand with them. But an old skin would be, become bre uh, frail and brittle, 
And so if you put in fresh new wine that needed to ferment, whenever it started to expand, the old wineskins would just tear and give way. And so new wine had to be put in a new wineskin so it could actually ebb and flow. And so again, Jesus is telling them a couple of different things. One, you're seeking me, I'm here. When I'm gone, yeah, fast, seek after me in that way, but right now I'm here. The other two illustrations, he's talking about the law. Jesus is not saying, I've come to redeem the law. I've not come to make your acts of righteousness mean more than what they already do. We already know that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. But he's telling them in this, he's like, I've come to give you something better. Something that you've never had before. Something you've never been able to experience. And that's having this relationship with me. That's me. And so when we think about the new wineskin or the the clothing being put together, both the wineskin and the cloth tearing away, there's this crushing element that ends up happening. It becomes destructive, right? I'm so thankful that God didn't come to put the law back on us and then go, hey, it's your turn to get it right this time. And he said, no, I want to give you something better. I will take and fulfill all that needs to be done. And so what you need is me. And so, yes, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Amen. He's no longer in a grave. But that means that we are waiting in anticipation for him to return. That means we get to seek him in our worship and through fasting and have him speak into our lives. And so God is not... Um, advocating for religious uh, legalistic adherence to tradition and practice what he's actually speaking to us is that fasting seeking after him is a spiritual discipline or a pathway that allows us to have a deeper more personal intimate relationship with him in a way that we are not the same we get him and we get to view him the right way And when I mean that, I'm not saying we get it right, but just understand that we see him for what he actually is, which is high and lifted up. The triune God who's always existed, the one who comes and speaks and brings redemption and salvation to us. We get to have that that God, that Jesus. It's a way to grow closer, much like reading scripture and prayer and other acts of worship that we've talked about. I want us to turn to Joel chapter 2 when we start thinking about who God is and actually seeing him the way that God intended us for us to know him. In Joel chapter 2 verse 12 through 13 it says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. He didn't say your acts of righteousness, all of your doing, all of your checklists, all of your abstaining from evil. He says, come to me or return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. It's not an exterior thing. This is an interior thing. It's a, a shedding and a removing of all of these things that get in the way that hinder. And he says, return to me. I want your heart not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. That is a beautiful picture of who God is. 
that he is a God who is gracious and merciful. I don't know about you, but when things are broken and they're not going well, and even when things are, man, having, having someone respond to me in graciousness and love and mercy, like that does something to my soul, that does something to my heart. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. We see this plea from Joel for the people to have this broken and contrite heart. There's a responsibility on our part too. It's, it's responsible for us to come to God and just say, here it is. Here's what I've done. Some of it was accidental, but some of this was I did it on purpose. Whatever that ends up looking like, just saying, here I am. But then have the Lord reiterate and give himself and say, I am a God who is gracious and mercy, who has compassion for your needs, a God who is loving and has revealed himself in redemptive grace. When we think about fasting, we're not fasting or worshiping just this some distant, far-off cosmic God who's just waiting for us to get it right. But instead, we have a God who sees us in our brokenness, who sees our temptation to make it about ourselves, to take the thing that was meant to be an act of worship towards him and make it all about our acts of righteousness to prove to ourselves and others that we've somehow got it more together than we actually do. He says, I'm gonna be slow to anger with you and abounding in steadfast love. We see this even in scripture when we look at Luke chapter four when Jesus went into the wilderness. Out of the four gospels, three gospels actually account for Jesus' wilderness uh, fast for 40 days. But all three accounts note one thing, which is that he was led by the Spirit or he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism. So let's look in Luke chapter four, verse one through four. And it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. So here's this thing of why it's so important for us to slow down as we get to actually see a few things. One, Satan's going to attack us and, and, and try to rob and steal and distort things no matter what. And us having the ability to slow down allows us to actually pay more attention to what's going on in us and around us. That's so important to have that kind of awareness. But we see in this first temptation that, that Satan is doing towards Christ is that he's trying to attack that God's provision and care won't be enough. And so that he doesn't need to rely on God. He needs to just be strong and dependent upon himself. But if we've seen throughout the, the, the earthly ministry of Christ is that everything he does, he's like, I'm dependent upon the Father. I'm dependent upon the Father. Even I don't know that, but the Father knows that. And we, so he, we see this attack. And so Jesus is challenged to be strong and dependent and to provide for himself, but we see him rely upon God, even in the other attacks of to bow down or to cast himself off the building so that the angels would catch him. There is this um, 
this distortion that Satan wants to give that Jesus ends up rejection is that God is not faithful and that God will not provide and God is not there and God will somehow ultimately end up failing you. See, what ends up happening in our spiritual journeys is that Satan will always try to distort who God actually is to us. He will often want to make God look like a liar. He'll often want to make God look like he is unable or unwilling. And then what he'll end up doing is he'll say, but this will take care of you. And he'll start providing other opportunities, idols and things for us to reach out and grasp onto. And here's the, the dirty secret about idols is that they work for a moment. They'll make you forget, they'll numb you, they'll get you through a season. But as always, they are the thing that kills you at the end. They don't heal the soul, they don't actually provide, they just, it's like putting everything on a credit card. There's gonna be debt that comes and it's gonna come with interest. And I know out analogies don't really work 100% well, but you kind of get what we're talking about. Like there's a lot more to this than just, I didn't act my best today. When it comes to the health of our soul and, and being the worshiper that God has called us to be, we need, we need truth. We don't need distortive narratives. We don't need idols that provide uh, or that say they're gonna provide and they fall short. We need a relationship with the one true God. And the one true God has this voice in Joel that is gracious and merciful. And yes, I know that there are scriptures that talk about God's anger and wrath. There are, but the, that anger and wrath is when it's expressed is when the, the, the hearer no longer wants to hear. When the hearer rejects and says, I'm not gonna do that. So that's not the voice when you're seeking God and that's not the voice God comes to you with. The voice God comes to you with is, hey, I know you've messed up. I see you. I'm not angry. I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to give grace and mercy and compassion and my steadfast love to you because that's what you need. And that's who he is. And so we see throughout the Old Testament that fasting's really related to a lot with repentance of sin, which I still think is an amazing way to fast. There are times when we need to look in our life and say, what do I need to lay down? Maybe it's not even for a season. Like maybe this is something I don't need to pick back up because I need to be able to know that and see and experience that God, you're more than enough. That you see me and you're intimately and you're not just somebody I can have faith in. You're someone I can have a relationship with. There are a lot of people and things I put a lot of faith in, but I have no intimate relationship with. There's a lot of faith that when I come to a stoplight, everybody's going to stop with me. But I have no relationship with any of them. I have none. But I can have faith. I had a lot of people I used to work with. I had a lot of faith that they would do their job and it was going to be fine. But we didn't have a relationship outside of that. For many of you right now, you may be like, man, I, I, I believe in faith that God is who he says he is in a lot of different ways, and I trust in that, but you're like, man, if I'm gonna be honest, like having a relationship where I feel like I experience God in a real tangible way, like I don't know what that looks like. God's not asking us to just have this faith that everything's gonna be okay. 
He's, ha- he's saying, have a faith that I am who I say I am, <clears throat> but taste and see and experience the relationship of me. I mean, that's what the Trinity is. Like, he has had that within himself from the very beginning. When he created you and I, we've had that built into us from the very beginning. The thing that has kept us apart is the sin. And now we see that not only is it okay, he's like, I know you have sin. I'm going to provide a way. That's a God worth, worthy of worship. That is somebody I would be willing and wanting to lay things down for and fast for a season to taste and see and experience and know him in a real and tangible way. So the good news is the same Holy Spirit that was filled into to Jesus that led him into the wilderness is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have as believers in Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit. I think about Romans 5.5 5 and why that's important. And it says, And hope does not put to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a big deal. That means God is love. That means that God has poured himself into us through his Holy Spirit. Which means that when we look at Matthew 22 and we think about the greatest commandment, it has a whole different meaning to it. It's not just something I have to do. It's something because of the loving God who is that has been poured into me, I am able to live out. So Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, Again, disrupting the status quo. There was a lawyer who asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Church, it's about knowing the love of God. It's knowing that he has poured himself into us so that we are able to have right relationship with him within ourselves and with others. Apart from him, it is impossible. The acts of righteousness mean nothing apart from him. Fasting doesn't mean anything. It just means you didn't eat. Or if it's TV, it just means you didn't watch something. At the end of the day, when we talk about worship and we talk about all these components of what it means to worship, it means having a relationship and we get all of Jesus. And we get to actually not just have faith in him, we get to have a relationship with him in a real and tangible way. And that's how real redemption and real transformation happens in our life. When we see God rightly and he allows us to see what he's doing in us to make us more of who he created us to be. Now, one of the things I want to land with is some reflection questions. We do these every week. It's not just so you know when the credits are coming and the sermon's almost over. Like, we actually hope and desire good things from these questions. And they're not scripture. They're just things to maybe spark a question in your mind and then seek the face of God. Because, again, reflection questions apart from Jesus mean nothing. They don't. So when we think through these questions, you may not be able to answer them right now. I hope what you'll do is you'll take them home and you'll have a conversation in seeking the face of God, but maybe also just seeking other brothers and sisters in mature belief 
of what this looks like for you. So the first question is this, one, how would you describe God? Don't use your uh, Sunday school answers. Like, how would you actually describe God? Like, how do you see God? What words would you use to describe him? Because the reality is, we may not be able to see God for who he actually is right now. We may have some of our own predispositions or experiences and different things going on in our life that makes it hard for us to see who he actually is. And that's okay. He's slow to anger. He's gracious and he's merciful. But we have to admit when we don't see him rightly. So how do you describe him? What words would you use? Part two, like, do you see him as authoritative? Do you see him as distant, critical? Or do you see him as loving? The way that the word of God describes him. Again, what is true? Like, what, how have you experienced him? What makes it hard for you to live in the present? For us to be able to have a relationship, we have to be in the present. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. My wife experiences it with me when we drive. I'm never in the car. I'm wherever we're going. Does that, anybody else relate to that? Like, you're just already there. You're thinking through who's going to be there, what you're going to say, what you're going to do, where you're going to sit, like how the day's going to go. Like, you're just like living it all out. She can't have a relationship with me because I'm not present. She has to call me back, and I'm like, oh, hey, you're here. <laughs> oh, there's cars. I'm kidding. But to be in relationship, we have to be present. So, like, what makes it hard for you to live in the present? Maybe you're living in the past thinking, what if this had happened? What if this hadn't happened? What would it be like now? Or maybe you're thinking, what if what's going to happen? You're living in the future. Maybe you're just distracted by your idols and you're just blazing through life and you don't know how to be present right now. What makes it hard for you to live in the present? So this last question is something that may be just helpful to allow you to pinpoint what makes it hard for you. And we use this in our biblical counseling ministry all the time. This is, again, it's a tool, right? It doesn't fix anything and it's not going to be magical. It's just a tool, Apart from Christ, it means nothing. So, like, you're going to have to see God in, in wisdom and faith and relationship. But what's happening right now in your life? Like, what is your relationship with God? Or how are you experiencing God? Or just what would you describe God as right now in your life? What's happening in your primary relationships? This could be parents, spouse, kids, friends, um, co-workers, yourself. Like, what's just going on right now in your life in those primary relationships? It could be good, it could be hard, it could be whatever. Just be honest and be truthful. What's going on at work? Stressors. Often we feel our stressors, but very rarely do we actually take time to name them and write them down or admit the truth of what is stressing us or causing that in our life. I would encourage you to do that. There's something beautiful about doing that and asking God to meet you in that. But on the other side of the coin, the joys. So much we miss out on because we're just going so fast. 
And then the last one, just uncertainties. What are the uncertainties that are going on in your life that uh, maybe you need to like just say, I need to slow down and admit that this is where I'm at so that I can be with God and I can be with others. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray um, and allow you to have an opportunity to respond. We'll have prayer partners up front. Elders are going to be in the commons area. Um, if you take this home and you're like, man, I really want to, well, you can come back or you can let us know we're here during the week. Uh, contrary to belief, we do work other days. Um, it's actually not work. It's just awesome ministry. Um, but if you're here and you're like, I, I know a lot about God intellectually, but I've never in faith and in an intimate way known him. And you want to know what that looks like or maybe you know God's calling you to take a next step of becoming a member or baptism. Man, the good thing is you don't have to do that alone. Like we desire to have those conversations because somebody's had that conversation with me hundreds of thousands of times. It's not on us to figure it all out. God gives himself, the Holy Spirit, his word, and he gives us the church. It's very purposeful, it's very intentional. And I hope you'll feel encouraged to step into that. And so what I'm gonna do now is we're gonna pray, and then however God's leading, I pray that you would respond and trust and experience and taste and see what we've been talking about. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. God, I just ask that we would be able to see you rightly. The way that your word describes you, Father, may we be able to taste and experience your love and kindness. Your word says it's your kindness that leads to repentance. So, Lord, in Joel, we heard how you're gracious and merciful. And there are countless scriptures where we see that happening for others and for us. Father, I pray that you would help us slow down, Lord, to know where we're at so we can uh, magnify and exhort the blessings in our life, the things that, God, that are happening where you are working, even if they're hard, but, God, we see the goodness in them because there's redemption and sanctification in them. Lord, that you are working in us to be more like you. God, may we have that opportunity to experience and name those things and worship you for them. But I also pray, Lord, that you'd allow us to slow down so that we could also uh, allow the brokenness and the disjointed relationships that we've experienced, Lord, to be healed by you. Lord, you do not promise us to have the perfect life, but you promise to have a relationship with us and to be with us through the hard and through the good. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be able to step out in faith and experience that for ourselves and know that everything that you say about you and what you have done is good and true and for our good and your glory. So Lord, we love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ.